My name is Ron. If you're visiting with us, one of the pastors here, um, thanks for coming out with us. I hope you've been made to feel at home. Um, hope you continue to be made to feel at home. Um, we're going to finish out a series we've been entitled Glimpses of Glory, where we've been walking through the book of John. So today we'll be in John chapter 11, and we'll read verses 1 to verses 44. John 11, 1 to 44. Once you've got it, let's stand together um, for this. Also, shout out to all my dudes who wore a collar today for Easter. I know this is the one time of the year you do it for some of you, so shout out for your dedication today. Uh, John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness won't lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So because he loved them, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going to there again. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light isn't in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll wake himself back up. Now, Jesus had spoken his death, spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Um, it says many of the Jews. That's a capital J. We're talking about the higher ups, the religious leaders, the same ones who wanted to kill Jesus, came to this uh, place with Martha and Mary and her brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. I love this. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Um, Some of us might need to take a page out of Martha's book and practice expressing disappointment and how it turned out. But hold on to our deep conviction in who God is. It's not either or. It's not I'm disappointed, therefore God's not who he is. It's not God is who he is, therefore I can't be disappointed. No, I can express disappointment and still remain deeply convicted. Jesus said, um, Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I'm also the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus hadn't yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, look at how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man in John chapter 9 also have kept this man from dying in John chapter 11? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, I like how John doesn't call him Lazarus no more. John, Just to let us know what's about to happen, to emphasize this event, John says, the sister of the dead one, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And we had said, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus. Uh, there are some church fathers who believe that Jesus was powerful enough that had he not specified Lazarus, every dead person in the general area would have come out of that tomb. <laughs> so, so he said, Lazarus, you come out. And the man who had died, the man who had died, the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Father, we thank you for your word. And we need you to speak it into us. Form us by your word. Give us faith by your word. Accomplish your purposes in us by your word today. Amen. You can be seated. Um, There are various perspectives by which you can look at this passage that we just read. Um, For instance, you could look at it from the perspective of Martha and Mary. Um, you could look at it from the perspective of Lazarus. You could look at it from the perspective of a uh, of a third-party bystander observing, just reading the text. But what I want to do is I want to look at this from the perspective of John. I want to look at this uh, event and try to see what John sees, as John sees. I want to try to think what John thought. I want to try to take away what John took away from these events. So the title of our day will be Lazarus Through John's Lens. Lazarus through John's lens. Um, There are a lot of songs that could come to mind during Easter week when preparing an Easter sermon and looking at an Easter passage. Whole lot of songs that could come to mind. Um, For instance, we just sang when Christ is risen from the dead. That's a song that could come to mind when preparing for Easter while looking at an Easter passage. Another one, um, one of my favorite songs, death could not hold you, the veil tore. That's an Easter song that should come to mind when looking at an Easter scripture. Can I share with y'all, with y'all what song came to mind this week? Uh, it was that real good Easter song where Marvin, he started off and he said, listen, baby, 
Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wild enough, baby. Then Tam, Tammy, she came in with the real talk and she said, if you need me, call me no matter where you are, no matter how far. And then a little bit later, they both join in. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ah, that song came to mind. Can I, can I tell you why? Because with Marvin and Tammy, we'd all applaud the kind of person who would, who would climb mountains and cross valleys and canoe across rivers for a loved one when they called upon them. But what do you do when you make a request of Jesus and you don't see him make any move? What do you do when you say, I, I, I've taken you at your word and I've chosen not to be anxious about anything, but instead present my request to you with supplications. And as far as I can tell, Jesus, you're not moving across a mountain like Marvin. Marvin, you're not tiptoeing across valleys like Tammy's. You're not going across rivers. For as far as I can tell, you're still. What do you make of that? John, I think he would tell us, look, I saw someone make a request of Jesus. And from my perspective, I didn't see Jesus make a move. And John says, but there's a lesson I learned in that. As far as John was concerned, Jesus and Lazarus were cool. John says Lazarus is the sibling of Mary and Martha, these two women who served Jesus. John says that Mary and Martha, when they sent a text to Jesus about Lazarus being sick, the title they gave Lazarus was the one whom you love. And Jesus knew who they were talking about. John says himself, Jesus loved Lazarus. And when Jesus heard that Lazarus was getting sicker and sicker, Jesus sat down for two days. What do you make of that? I think John would point us to Jesus's words before he points us to Jesus's actions. Because John, through John's eyes, as soon as Jesus got the text message, Jesus said, this will not end in death, but it will end in the father and the son getting some glory out of it. So Jesus declares that this situation is encompassed in the purposes of God, which are purposes of glory. And because he's going to get glory out of it, then he did nothing. Maybe, just maybe, when John saw Jesus not move, he was really watching Jesus make a move for his glory. I think that through John's eyes, John would say, whether you see him move or not, God is making moves towards his glory. Um, I grew up a Christian kid in a Christian household in the late 90s, early 2000s, which meant everything I loved was off limits. That's just what it meant. Some of us have the same pain. Uh, let's all go to counseling together. <laughs> I think my mom's watching this live stream. <laughs> oh, shout out. Welcome live stream. Hey, welcome. Um, meant to do that earlier. Um, so, so, so everything I loved was off limits. I mean, Pokemon, demonic. Harry Potter, witchcraft. SpongeBob, annoying. I mean, everything was off limits. Uh, but I used to sneak Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh, it's this show about this kid named Yugi who played card games and they were like magical or something. That was off limits. But I used to uh, run home before my mother got back from uh, work and I'd sneak in and watch it in my room. Um, 
And I loved it because as it, the show uh, showed Yugi playing this card game, they would give you his internal dialogue. So Yugi would say, if I make this move, that'll get me to where I want to go. So I'm going to put that card down. And everyone's like, wow. And then Yugi would say, if I make this move that I, and put this card down, that would get me to where I want to go. So he put that card down and everybody would say, wow. Every now and then Yugi would say, I'm going to pass on my move this time. I'm not going to make a move and it'll still get me to where I want to go. So Yugi would be, Yugi would say, I'm not going to make a move and he'd still end up winning the game. <laughs> Yugi was intentional. What I'm trying to show you is this is the kind of intentional that God is. When you see him make a move, he's making a move. He's intentional. When you don't see him making a move, he's making a move. He's intentional. And his goal is glory. When you see him do something, he's doing it for his glory. When you see him do nothing, he's doing it for his glory. He said in Isaiah 46, I've made you for your glory, which means all that we see God do and not do will be our fulfillment and our satisfaction and our joy and our peace. He's intentional. So someone right now feels like life's just happening to him. You feel like you ha- he hasn't intervened. You feel like you're subject to just whatever happened. Listen to me. He's intentional. You are not subject to fate. You are not at the mercy of random. You are right in the middle of the intentions of our intentional God. He's intentional. So when I don't see him move, what do I do? I know that he's intentional. John would say, looking at this situation from start to finish, I saw Jesus do some stuff. I didn't see Jesus do some stuff, but all of it was intentionally towards his glory. That's the whole episode. That's John's whole summary. What I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to walk through and make two or three stops along the way in this journey of Jesus healing Lazarus and still try to pull out what John wants to pull out. Um. So, so after a few days, Jesus finally, uh, John hears Jesus say, Hey, um, we got to go down to Judea again. And these dudes are like, no, <laughs> we just got ran out of Judea, Jesus. The, the, the religious mafia just tried to arrest you and stone you, Jesus. And you want to go back. It's only been six verses, Jesus. <laughs> and you want to go back? These disciples weren't dumb dudes. They knew that Jesus going back to Judea was a death wish. And they knew that going to Judea with Jesus was a death wish. So these dudes are like, I don't want to die. I think John would sit you down and tell you that Jesus leads us into death sometimes. I think actually Matthew, Mark, Luke, Peter, Paul, the unknown writer of Hebrews, and everyone in the New Testament would say Jesus leads you into death. They heard Jesus say stuff like, I came to be given over into the hands of men and then killed by men. And then they heard Jesus say right after, if anyone wants to follow me, he's going to have to pick up his cross daily and come after me. If you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. It takes two days in the New Testament to realize Christ came to die and he calls us to go after him. Through John's eyes, Jesus leads his disciples into death. Uh, Crucifixion was a common capital punishment practice of the Romans. 
Um, whenever a man specifically was sentenced to death, he'd be beaten on the spot, then they'd place a cross beam on his back, and he'd be forced to carry this cross beam through town to the place where they would execute him. So whenever the people in the Roman Empire saw a man making his way downtown, walking fast, his face is passed with a cross beam on his back, they knew he was death bound. And Jesus says, the cross, the Christian life is a cross carrying life. You get up and follow Jesus and you're going to die. You wake up in the morning and get dressed and put the cross on your back. You brush your teeth and you put the cross on your back. Before you walk out of that house, you're putting the cross on your back and you're walking out of the door to death. Uh, Shakespeare, he has Caesar saying the coward dies a thousand deaths. I don't know if he read the Bible because the Christian dies more. Jesus says, I want you to pick up that cross daily. Every day you're headed to the death of your preferences. Every day you're headed to the death of your passions and your desires. Every day you're headed to the death of a me first mentality. Every day you're headed to the death of getting mine. Every day you're headed to death. The Christian life is a cross carrying life. This is important for us to be reminded of as we live in a therapeutic culture that says comfort and ease overall. I want you to prioritize comfort and ease. I want you to seek comfort and ease. If it's not comfort and easy, then it's going wrong and you ought to quit. Listen to me, Christian. The Christian life will not be comfortable. Because dying ain't comfortable. Following Jesus ain't going to be easy. Because dying's not easy. And so maybe as we're following Jesus and when we feel the absence of comfort and ease, that's not a sign that we should jump ship. That's not a sign that we're doing it wrong. No, maybe that's a sign that we're actually right behind Jesus. But I don't want to keep you in the grave too long. It's Easter. Um, I'll give you some encouragement. I'm not going to pull you out the grave yet. I still got 15 minutes. Um, so, so these dudes are like, Jesus, we can't go to Judea. We don't want to die. That seems unreasonable. That, Quite frankly, that's stupid. And Jesus says, the one who walks in the daylight doesn't stumble because he sees the light. Uh, Jesus has given us, he's given us three symbols back to back to back right here. So he says, the one who walks in the daylight, Proverbs chapter six, the daylight is symbolic of the commandments and the wills of God, will of God. The light, that's Jesus, the light of the world, John chapter 9, he reveals God. Stumbling is synonymous to error or being wrong. So Jesus says, the one who walks in the will of God, because he sees me reveal God, will not err. Let me make that positive. The one who walks in the will of God, as revealed by Jesus, will walk in righteousness. I think through John's eyes, he would say following Jesus is right, even when it doesn't seem reasonable. I can't be the only one who's been in a town that I don't know, going to a place I've never been to. And I put directions into the GPS and I'm following the GPS and I see a clear exit right here. But the GPS says, no, I want you to actually go a mile further and then turn right. And I think that can't be real. It happened to me yesterday in Kansas City, four times. <laughs> Ask my wife. <laughs> and I thought, that can't be legitimate. 
So I'm just going to turn here. And then that turn here that I thought was the reasonable turn ended up with me going the wrong way down a one way. And it turned out the GPS was right, even when it didn't seem reasonable to me. I'm not calling Jesus a GPS, but he is God who guides. And I'm saying his directions are right, even when it doesn't seem reasonable to you. Right now in the world that we live in, a life that's um, that forgiving our neighbor, praying and loving for those who persecute us doesn't seem reasonable in a, in a world that's antagonistic. But Jesus is always right. Generosity doesn't seem reasonable in a world that's get mine. But Jesus is always right. Holding fast to the words of Jesus as spoken by Jesus doesn't seem right in a world that values ethical progression over time just for time's sake. But what Jesus says is always right. Following Jesus is right even when it doesn't seem reasonable. And some of you right now are feeling the pressure because your commitment to Christ is colliding with the beliefs of other people around you. Stick with it. You've got a loved one who doesn't see things the same way you see things because you've adopted the worldview of Jesus. Stick with it. You've got friends that are questioning everything about you because you're holding fast to the ethic of Jesus. Stick with it. You, you've committed yourself to the scripture in a world where people think that it's outdated and ought to be changed just because of time. I'm saying stick with it. Because in the end, there will be a reward. Noah, his thing, he was guided by God when he built that boat. And it seemed absolutely unreasonable to people who'd never seen rain. Then the rain came and it found out, it turned out that God's guidance had gotten him through, even when it didn't seem reasonable. Jesus said, the one who builds his life on my words is like that one who builds his house on the rock. And when the waves come, his house will still stand. What Jesus is saying is my my guidance is right. My guidance is true. It might not seem reasonable right now, but one day a storm will come in life. One day the storm that is the judgment will come. And if you build your life on Jesus's words, if you take his guidance, there's going to be a day where you look back and say his guidance got me through even when it didn't make sense in the moment. So John would say, through my eyes, Jesus leads his disciples into death. But following him is always right, even when it don't seem reasonable. And so then finally, Jesus, he says, look, y'all, we got to we got to go down there. Um, Lazarus is uh, he's he's asleep. I need to go wake him up. And the boys are like, he good. He real good. Jesus, we don't got to go down there. He's all right. And so then Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad I didn't go earlier for your sake. Watch this. For your sake. I'm glad I didn't go earlier for your sake so that you can believe. These are 12 dudes who have death at the forefront of their mind. And they are thinking about dropping out of Jesus's school because they're headed to death. And Jesus says, I'm glad this thing played out this way so you can have faith. I think Jesus is talking about the kind of faith that follows him even when it faces death. And so and so then they get down there and Jesus, he chops it up with Martha. And Martha says, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says he'll rise again. And Martha says, I know he'll come up in the resurrection. Um, The Jews, they had this belief and this reasoning that if God was a life giving God, there'd be a day where he gave life to all of his people, which is the final resurrection. 
So Martha says, I know he's going to get up then. And Jesus says, let me clarify your comment. You're right in saying he's going to get up in the resurrection, but I want you to know that actually I'm that resurrection. And then he says, let me add to your comment. Because not only am I that resurrection, but I'm also that life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. God gives you a picture of resurrection every time you wake up in the morning. You fall asleep at night, close your eyes, you're unaware and unresponsive to the outside world around you for some amount of time. And then he opens back your eye. He opens your eyes back up and awakens you to life. This, this is a picture of resurrection. When you die and go down into the grave, your eyes will be shut. You'll be unresponsive and unaware to the world around you for a certain amount of time. But then God will open your eyes back up and you'll be awakened to life with him. Jesus says, I'm that resurrection. And then Jesus says, I'm the life. Uh, life, this is speaking of this concept in the Gospel of John called eternal life. Um, this summer, I'm preaching for some, uh, at a high school conference on the subject of eternal life. And the way that I'm going to tell, uh, tell them and explain it to them is eternal life simply stated in the New Jerron Dictionary is, is, is life-changing relationship with God. It's life-changing relationship with God. Um, so I know I'm not too much different than you all. Um, the same way y'all went through Netflix and Hulu's whole catalog in 2020, I did too. Me and my wife did too. Um, we watched a lot of TV. Um, one of our favorite TV shows that we watched was one where it was a reality show, and they followed these couples. Um, and so, for instance, there'd be, there was a dude who married the love of his life. She was enough all by herself. He was happy with her. But it turns out she was a millionaire. And so not only did he get the love of his life, who was enough all by herself, he got all of her good stuff, too. So he got his soulmate, but he also got his soulmate's bank account. And he got his soulmate's house. And he got his soulmate's car. That, that relationship with that woman also changed his whole life. Because he got all of her good stuff. This is eternal life. Jesus says in John 17, eternal life is knowing God. That's relationship. You get God and God is God and good enough all by himself. But in Ephesians 1, Paul says, because we have God, he's blessed us with every, every, that's all, every spiritual blessing. We get all of God's good stuff. We get God and we get his grace. We get God and we get his provision. We get God and we get forgiveness. We get God and we get the spirit. We get God and we get the family. We get God in all of his good. Jesus says, I am the life. But I like how Jesus says, I am the life. He locates it within himself. Water has all of the qualities needed to be wet within itself. So when you got water, you can get wet. If you don't got water, ain't no way you're going to get wet. Jesus is to resurrection and life what water is to wet. Jesus has all that's needed for resurrection life within him. So when you got Jesus, you get resurrection and life. Ain't no resurrection and life without Jesus, Jack. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. That's exclusive, which implies they are not the resurrection and life. Listen to me, a nap will not give you more life. 
A vacation will not give you more life. Self-care will not give you more life. More money will not give you more life. Following your passions will not give you more life. Only Jesus gives more life. Through John's eyes, Jesus gives more life to his disciples who are facing death. Only Jesus gives more life. Only Jesus gives the resurrection kind of life, which allows me to see the grave as a, as a nap, which allows me to see the grave as a temporary bed. Only Jesus gives more life. Only Jesus gives more life after the thousand deaths of discipleship. Yes, in this life of following Jesus, I may have had to die to pursuing happiness above all, but Jesus gives me more life with God who gives me joy. Yes, in this life of discipleship, I may have had to die to the me first, get more mentality, but Jesus gives me more life with the God who provides for all of my needs. I've had to die to some stuff, but Jesus gives me more life with my God who is my peace and my joy and my hope and my comfort. Only Jesus gives me more life. Christ Church, listen to me. Jesus gives more life. To his disciples who were facing death. You felt some death in the past few weeks. He's given us more life. You've been mourning the loss of some things the past few weeks. I have. He's given us more life. To every individual, to this whole community, as we face death, he's given us more Life. This is who he is. So John would direct us and he would say, receive more life by committing yourself to Christ. You see what Jesus said? He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me and dies, he'll live. And the one who lives and believes in me, he'll never die. It's it's belief is how we receive this life. Uh, commitment is another form of belief. Commitment is another way of saying belief. It's saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, and I'm committing myself to you, and I'm committing myself to your commandments. For some of us, that's a first-time belief. For the rest of us, those of us who are Christians, that's a continued belief day in and day out, even when we sense loss and death and pain on the other side of obeying Jesus. That's a continued belief. And he says, you continue to believe, I'll keep giving you more life. How can we trust it? How can we know he'll do it? How can we be sure that he actually gives us more life? The father ends up proving Jesus to be right and proving Jesus to be true. That's what the whole resurrection of Lazarus was about. Jesus, he talks to Mary, he gets to the tomb, and he prays out loud in front of a whole bunch of people. And he says, Father, I know you've heard me. Um, concerning raising Lazarus, um, I know you always hear me. I'm not even praying for myself right now, honestly. I'm praying for these people around me, especially these disciples who need to know that I give more life when they face death. I'm praying for all of them so they may know that you sent me, so they may know I'm the Messiah, so they may know I'm the one who gives more life. Then he says, Lazarus, come on out. And here comes Lazarus in his grave clothes, probably all musty smelling, Hank coming on out. And that was when Jesus was glorified. That was when Jesus was displayed to be, proved to be the resurrection and the life. 
But you know that's not the only tomb where um, the Father proved Jesus to be who he was. You flip over to John chapter 20 and there's another tomb. Uh, In John chapter 20, instead of Jesus on the outside of someone else's tomb looking in, Jesus had just been laid down in his own tomb. Uh, Lazarus died for sickness. Jesus died for sin. But hold up, not his sin, my sin. He didn't die for his sin. He died for your sin. He didn't die for his sin. He died for the sins of the whole world. Jesus says this will end in glory. So I want to end this sermon really quick and give him some Easter glory because I'm so glad that he died. That song says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm so glad he died. And so he died and they laid Lazarus in the tomb for four days, but Jesus only laid down for three days because real early on that third day, before the crack of dawn, the father put breath back into that breathless body and brought Jesus back to life. And Lazarus had had mourners push the tomb away with tears coming out of their eyes. Jesus didn't have no human. He had angels from heaven come down and push that tomb away as they're praising God and giving God glory. Lazarus hobbled out in his grave clothes. Jesus, he folded his grave clothes real nicely and walked out in a glorified body. Lazarus will die one more day. Jesus lives forevermore. I'm so glad he lives. Christian tradition has this song where they say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? John Chrysostom says Christ is risen and you are overthrown, death and hell. Christ is risen and the demons have fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life reigns. Christ is risen and he gives us more life. Christ is risen, church, so we praise him. Christ is risen, so we give him glory. Christ is risen and as long as we have his breath in our lungs, everything in this church that has breath will praise our risen Lord Christ is risen and he gives more life so what do we learn from this episode we learn that through John's eyes God 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 he's intentional and when we see him do something and when we see him do nothing we know he's going to get glory and how's he get glory well sometimes he leads us into death but It's always right, even when it doesn't seem reasonable, because he gives us more life after those deaths. How do we know it? He got up.